0: You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Today is a very special episode for Nest Talk because today, on October 25th, 2019, is the 50th episode of the Nest Talk podcast. It has been quite a while since we've started this podcast. Actually started back in the summer of 2018. Here we are in the fall of 2019. Of course, it's a weekly show, but there are not 52 episodes. There are in a week. I'm sorry, in a year. Uh, Weeks in a year. That's because, of course, we have um the many breaks we took over that period of time for various reasons including you know the the off season where there wasn't much to talk about um just to, to points where we weren't able to get out podcast but we're going strong now we have the 50th episode it is it's very amazing to me I, I thank you all for supporting the podcast every week listening to it um and i hope to keep making it bigger and better we have plans in the works As i've been mentioning over and over again there are lots of plans things we're testing um to make this podcast much better i have plenty of ideas. And we hope the next fifty episodes are going to be better than the first fifty, uh, and we'll move towards um, creating a very, very um, interesting Ravens discussion here on this podcast. Um, you know, between myself and you guys, and of course, making it a show that everybody would like to see uh, and hear in the future. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Of course, we do have some announcements to make, uh, some housekeeping things as we always have. Make sure you follow us at Nest Talk on Twitter, at Be More Feather on Twitter as well. You can find me at Chris Linfan on Twitter. Uh, And it's also important that you subscribe on YouTube or iTunes, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Um, That will make sure these podcasts are put into your um, subscription box right away once they are released. And, of course, if you are listening directly from the Baltimore Feather website, um, thank you. That's also uh, very – we very much appreciate that. You can subscribe to the newsletter on that site too. Um, Just type in your email. And, of course, every time there's a new episode of Nest Talk and any Ravens News articles – Um, and opinion articles that we publish, they'll go right into your inbox so you are ready to go with the latest and greatest Ravens news and opinion articles on the internet. And of course, um, you can find us on Facebook as well. Just search up Nest Talk or Baltimore Feather on Facebook. Like us there. Uh, If you are trying to contact us, please, uh, it's best that you use the email, info at Baltimore Feather, but you can also DM us on Twitter. Appy More Feather is the absolute best place to do that. Communicating through Facebook. I mentioned not a very good idea, so let's not do that Um, unless you absolutely have to. Of course, we will get back to you, but Facebook sometimes is weird. Uh, It doesn't show me right away when when, when I get messages so I can miss them for a month at a time for all I know. Um, So again, without further ado, let's hop right into this episode. It's actually, again, I, I forgot to mention this, but today is October 25th, and that means it's two months till Christmas. Uh, which also means that we're about halfway through the NFL season and the Ravens are on bye week this week, so we don't have as much to talk about in terms of the matchup they're going up against the New England Patriots on November 3rd, but we will talk about that in next week's episode. There's really no point in talking about it now, only to have circumstances change, uh, especially since we actually, I don't believe we have a full week of practice on this bye week. Most of the team is just resting as, as far as I'm concerned. I don't have an injury report, haven't heard about practice. I don't think they're practicing at all. Um, so there's really there's no injury news to talk about, nothing new, um, except for what happened in the Sunday's game, which we'll talk about because there is a major injury we have to talk about. But um, the Ravens have, have, have uh, granted us things to talk about through um, free agent acquisitions here and, of course, a, a cut and, and a move to the IR, which we'll, which we'll discuss in a second. Also to talk about, though, I am taking questions, as always, for the podcast. Uh, we have another question by Mr. Donovan Sales about a specific player um, on the Ohio State Buckeyes and whether or not the Ravens should be looking at to draft him. Um, I want to talk about what the Ravens' win in Seattle means, um, are we having a defensive revival, and finish up with some bi-week thoughts, and we'll get all through that through this hour-long episode as usual here on the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. So starting off with the Ravens news, we're going to go in um, a sequential order here and how they happened. Uh, and the first is that the Ravens decided to part ways with the cornerback slash special teams player Justin Bethel. So Justin Bethel was signed this offseason to be a special-teams gunner for the Baltimore Ravens. That was really his main objective with the Ravens. And unfortunately for Bethel, he was not able to stay with the team throughout the entire season. Now Bethel um, was being paid, I think it was $1.5 million uh, in a cap hit this year. Uh, let me check that right now as I'm talking here. But it wasn't s- like a, a very um, insane amount with the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, he had a 1.5 base salary with cap hit of $2 million. So um, Justin Bethel now without, is off the Ravens. Um, and that's essentially because the Ravens do not value him as much as they value a fourth-round pick. And I say that because if you have paid attention, if you're on baltimorefeather.com, if you're following up on the Twitter page, you know that the Ravens had a choice to make. And that choice was, because Brent Urban was cut, the former Ravens defensive end, Brent Urban, cut by the Tennessee Titans, Baltimore was going to lose a fourth-round compensatory pick via the comp pick formula. And if you're not familiar with compensatory picks or how they work, it's very complicated and no one actually knows the full formula the NFL uses Um, It's based on players evaluated. But anyway, every year NFL teams lose players in free agency and they gain players in free agency. If your team loses more than they gain, they get what's called a compensatory pick. That compensatory pick's value, whether it's the third round or the seventh round. It can't be first or second. It can be either third to seventh round. That is based on um, other factors, playing time, contract details, Stuff like that. C.J. Mosley's loss, since we lost two more players than we gained, C.J. Mosley's loss was going to essentially um, give the Ravens a third-round pick. Now, that, of course, could change since he's been injured recently, but the formula still says basically the Ravens are probably going to get a third-round pick. There are surprises sometimes. I remember Ricky Wagner was a bit of a surprise. It was a lower pick than expected for for what we got for losing Ricky Wagner. Um but CJ Mosley should give us a third round pick because they lost Mosley didn't have enough free agent talent to overtake that loss according to the formula and um you know the other free agents everything would gain the ravens a fourth round pick but the loss of Urban would have made the formula even taking away that fourth round pick so the ravens knew that they had a choice to make it was either Bethel or a fourth round pick and the problem with keeping Bethel is that he only really plays special teams. That's what he's here for. He's a fantastic special teams player, and I feel bad for him he's in this spot because this is not his fault here, right? He's not the kind of... It's really not his fault at all that he he was put in a situation where the Ravens had to get rid of him, but he's not a defensive back at heart. That's not his best position here. The Ravens had to part ways with him in order to recuperate that fourth-round pick. Why do they want the fourth-round pick over Justin Bethel? A fourth-round pick... You get a younger player on a four-year contract next year, this upcoming year. We're halfway through the season, Um, so whoever that player might be, I mean, the Ravens see that as more valuable, and it's going to be a contract similar to Bethel's too in the future because, you know, rookie contracts don't aren't that expensive. You're only going to get a few million out of them. Bethel was on a two million, one-year contract, so I mean, that total amount it would probably be only three or four for the rookie on that fourth-round fourth, uh, fourth round pick, maybe even less. Um, so the Ravens, they're always key to the comp pick game. That's always what they're trying to do is build on comp picks. That was Ozzie Newsom's strategy. It very much appears to be Eric DeCosta's strategy here in Baltimore. And Justin Bethel essentially is caught in the crossfires. Now, the question, though, is does this mean the Ravens are not in win-now mode? I argue they were in win-now mode last week when they made the trade for Marcus Peters who had an incredible game, by the way, against Seattle. We'll talk about that. Um, I don't know if this means the Ravens are out of win-now mode, but I know it means the Ravens really value their future. And I still think they think they can win a Super Bowl, a championship, or whatever this season, but I don't think the Ravens um, are particularly invested in this season right now Maybe they want to sign uh, Marcus Peters to a long-term contract after this year, pair him up with um, Marlon Humphrey and get rid of Jimmy Smith. That is very possible. I mean, they still want to win this season. It would, they wouldn't have traded for Peters if they didn't want to win this season. They want to win as much as they can this season. It's it's a very cautious win-now mode, I would say. It's a, it's a win-now with an eye toward the future. They want to establish a dynasty. They don't want to break the bank all in one year. That is essentially what's going on here with the Ravens. Uh, and this Bethel pick kind of reaffirms that, if, you, if that's your vision on the Ravens, win now, again, does not necessarily mean they're going to break the bank this year. That's not ever how the Ravens have done it. They've always been trying to build a dynasty that competes year in and year out, not a team that competes one year and then blows the next ten years as a dumpster fire. That's, I mean, some teams will do that. They'll trade in a championship for ten years of obscurity, but the Ravens are not that team. And it's, it's better to not be that team than to be that team that trades their fan base's happiness for a single year of prosperity. Uh, Moving on, the next day, the Ravens placed Pernell McPhee on the IR. This is the big news, uh, the the big injury news of the week here. Pernell McPhee um, was signed this past offseason, and as as most of you know, I would imagine, Pernell McPhee played with the Baltimore Ravens in that Super Bowl year. He was with the Ravens from '11 to 2014, left signed a huge deal with the Chicago Bears, but didn't really pull it together in Chicago. Um, kind of was obscure last year where the Redskins didn't do a whole lot, but he was playing very well in Baltimore. He had 17 total tackles this year and three sacks on this season alone. And then it happened and Pernell McPhee, um, went down in, in Sunday's game against the Seattle Seahawks, uh. For some reason, I don't have what the injury is on this list. I don't know why I don't have it here, but I know it's here somewhere. Give me a quick second, and I will find that for you. But essentially, Pernell McPhee, I believe it was an arm injury. I just don't want to say the wrong thing here. Pernell McPhee went down um, with a triceps injury in his arm. Season-ending triceps tear, actually. Um, So definitely not the situation you want to be in if you're Pernell McPhee. Uh, and the Ravens, because Pranel McPhee was a big presence on that pass rush um, group. And the pass rush, as a, as a group, as a unit, has been very much underperforming. And McPhee and Judon are really the only ones who are getting any real pressure at the quarterbacks. But it's it's not consistent enough. And McPhee, you know, his loss is really giant for the Ravens. There's been a lot of talk on whether the Ravens are going to go get Nick Nagakwe. I. I'm sorry, but I butcher this name all the time. I know exactly who he is, but I butcher his name. Unique Ngakwe, A lot of talk about him as a pass rusher coming into Baltimore. Um, he is a guy with the Seattle. am not Seattle Seahawks. With the Jacksonville Jaguars on the last year of his rookie deal, with about two million dollar a two million dollar cap hit this year that he could fit in the Ravens two million just above two million dollar um, cap space. They wouldn't have to give him up much for him. They just got a fourth round comp pick back. They could use a fourth-round pick. They've got a couple to send over to Jacksonville and get Unique Ngagwe in. Um, but, I mean, these are just rumors flying around. These are people on Twitter basically talking about Unique. There's no actual physical evidence that the Ravens are going to go get Unique Um And whether or not he would actually help, I'm not exactly sure because he's, he's an okay pass rusher. He's not an elite pass rusher. It's not like the Marcus Peter trade where you're going out and you're getting an elite corner. I don't care what anybody else says. Marcus Peters is an elite cornerback. Unique Nagakwe is not an elite pass rusher. He's a good pass rusher. He's a better than average pass rusher, but he's not elite. And to pair him with Junon and just expect the pass rush to immediately flourish, I don't think would actually happen. I think the Ravens have deeper issues at that position. I think it's it's more depth than anything. And with Purnel I mean, with McPhee was still in the in the conversation in the mix here, yeah, they have a much deeper pass rush with Unique Nagakwe in there. But without without McPhee, it's gonna be Nagakwe and Junon. And, like, who else? Tyus Bowser? Chris Wormley? I mean, these aren't guys who are going to get to the quarterback very often. I mean, Tyus Bowser has had some um, decent moments, but Chris Wormley's not going to do it. Jalen Ferguson, though, I have to say. Jalen Ferguson, impressed in Seat- in the Seattle game, had some very good moves uh, bottling up players, especially uh, on the outside, protecting from the run as well. He had some good moves. But, um, you know, Pernell McPhee... Obviously, being thrown into the injured reserve is a huge loss for the Baltimore Ravens. They're going to have to figure out what they want to do long-term at the pass rush position. They did not address it in free agency in the two signings we're going to talk about right now. And the first of those signings, both coming from the Patriots, actually, is defensive back Jordan Richards. What is Jordan Richards going to do for us? Well, he's a he's a college safety. He was a college safety. He plays defensive back and really, I guess, play any position. I don't know much about him. But he was the second-round pick in 2015, 2016. And just, 2015 second round pick, and just didn't do well. He didn't do well with the Patriots, was cut, I'm sorry, not cut, was traded to the Falcons in 2018, signed with on a one-year deal with the Oakland Raiders in 2019, but was cut at the end of the season, signed to the 53-man roster of the Patriots not long after. Was actually cut to make room for Bethel. He is not a very good defensive back by any stretch of the imagination. He's, I'd say he's probably below average maybe just barely average. He's not going to be any sort of addition like Marcus Peters was because, I mean, the the Patriot allure is really something, right? You know, someone can see Ravens signed Patriots defensive back, and they go, oh, this guy must be good. He's from the Patriots. Not everybody from the Patriots is good. They don't always hit on the draft picks. This is one of them they didn't hit. Um, again, drafted by the Patriots, traded away, and then he came back to the Patriots this year, but, but cut to actually make room for Bethel. Um, some people speculate that the Ravens are just doing this To get information, get dirt on the Patriots. I mean, I doubt it. They're probably going to ask him, like, is there anything we need to know about Bill Belichick's Patriots? But, I mean, everything's on the tape. It's not like they have a specific game plan they're going to install against Baltimore and this guy's going to come running with it to to John Harbaugh. You know, the 57,000-page game plan and just give it to Harbaugh. And that's just not how it works. So... This is really a move, I think, for depth. Obviously, we lost to Sean Elliott, Tony Jefferson for the year. Jimmy Smith is, is 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 due to come back for the Patriots game. That's the assumption. Tavon Young is out for the year. Um, the Ravens have had some pretty bad luck in the secondary this year. It's, it's, been, it's been pretty bad with the injuries, but maybe Jordan Richards can fill in as a depth guy. Maybe he's someone who we can use on special teams. I'm not sure exactly if that's what the Ravens want to do um, with him. But the Ravens had one open roster spot after this move, and they used it. On another Patriot, this time defensive lineman. Uh, I'm really sorry. I'm going to butcher this name. Ufamba Kamalo. I think I actually did well on that one. Ufamba Kamalo. Uh, Mr. Kamalo, if you are watching, please let me know how I actually pronounce your name. I, 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 I'm sorry, but you know I, I butcher some of these names. It's very difficult to pronounce some of these names that come up in the NFL. But according to Joe McBride of the Boston Globe, he's a Patriots beat r- reporter for the Boston Globe. Um, the Baltimore Ravens signed or were at least going to sign in the process of signing Ufamba Kamalu last night off the Patriots practice squad. Now Kamalu was, was undrafted in 2016, signed with the Texans, didn't make it. Um, I'm sorry, he did make it, but didn't make it for long. He was waived after the 2018 preseason. Um, and then he signed with the Cardinals, but was cut in, in October of 2018. And then he joins the New England practice squad in 2018, was elevated in, in, in December of that year, and actually played in in the uh, was on the roster for the Super Bowl. Um, so he's got a ring. And he stayed on the Patriots practice squad this year after being waived after the preseason, but now he's been signed by the Baltimore Ravens off that practice squad. So what does this mean? Well, it means that the Ravens did not go and get Yannick Nagakwe yet. They don't have any open roster spots, but I really don't think the Ravens are going to be very concerned if they have to cut uh, Ufamba Kamalu or Jordan Richards or, you know, whoever they they decide to cut um, in order to go get Unique Ngakwe, if that's the decision. Again, I haven't heard anything concrete from any concrete sources that this is true. It's mainly just speculation by Ravens fans that Unique Ngakwe would be a move Dacosta could make. And honestly, it's feasible because of the salary cap situation, his situation, the Marcus Peters trade, you know, coming into play as precedent. Uh, and what the Ravens have to give up for him, it, it wouldn't make... Uh, it, it, it wouldn't be that far-fetched to assume it could happen. But right now, we don't have the sources to back that up. No one's really talking about it. And, and the Ra- you know the Jaguars might just want to sign him for next season as well and beyond that. So maybe the Ravens don't even have a chance to get him. Um, but what's Kamalo going to do here for the Ravens? He's going to provide defensive line depth. I mean, the Ravens have had some defensive line issues this year. They came in without um, a full defensive line um, you know, usually you have six or seven on the defensive line. I think they came in with five on the D line, not counting edge rushers. Ended up bringing Zach Siler to the 53 man roster. Now they're bringing Kamalu to the 53 man roster. So Baltimore has been busy with this defensive line, trying to mold that. And this also goes hand in hand with a pass rush because you need a decent defensive line to have a decent pass rush. They go hand in hand. Sometimes you get interior pressure, like if you're Aaron Donald. The Ravens really don't have an interior pass rusher. I mean, Nagakwe might be able to be used for that. But that's not really the Ravens' forte here. They're they're more of an outside pass rush team. But it's important that they get pressure through the middle, clog up run lanes. And the Ravens have actually been pretty decent at clogging up run games. Uh, If I remember correctly, last week heading into the game in Seattle, they were about fourth best in defending the run in the NFL, which is pretty darn good for a team with a bad defense as the Ravens. Um, But, you know, he's not really going to do much in all honesty. Kamala, I would imagine he's going to be inactive for many of the games. Um, and he might just be here for now until the Ravens have a more concrete situation at defensive line. Unless let's say he really impresses, which is entirely possible. If he really impresses with the Ravens, he could stay on for the rest of the year, but it seems to me that, that he is just an addition um, to kind of be a stopgap for that roster spot for this week until a more concrete plan is made. That's just my interpretation. You know, I don't know specifically if that's something the Ravens are going to do, um, but that's my interpretation of the signing. So switching gears now, let's move on to a question sent in by one of our longtime listeners here, Donovan Sales Sr. He also sent us a question last week. And just to reiterate, I want to get some more questions in here if possible. I think it's very fun to interact with um, you know, all the Ravens fans who listen to the podcast. So if you have a question you want me to answer on Nest Talk uh, or talk about any topic, it can be just... Put a uh, comment on the Nest Talk podcast on YouTube or send me a tweet, even an email at info at BaltimoreFeather.com. Just make, make sure I know it's for the Nest Talk podcast because if you ask me a question on Twitter, I'll probably just answer it as if it was just a regular question. But just you know, make sure I would know it's for the podcast and then I'll talk about it in depth on the podcast because there's only, frankly, so many words you can get in on Twitter. Here, it's much easier to discuss a topic in, in long, uh, long form. Um, so without further ado, let's get into Donovan's question his question is defensive end Chase Young from Ohio State. Donovan asks, uh, I want to talk about Chase Young, Ohio State. He is the best pass rusher in college football. I feel Costa should give up a 2020 first round and 2021 first and second round. How do you feel about that? So Donovan, that is a very good question. It is very early to talk about the, the, the NFL draft, but You know, college football is going on right now. We're in the heat of the moment here. It's important to start looking at players about midway through the college football season if you're, um, you know, an amateur scout, as I like to consider myself. So this is about the time I started actually looking at some players, and I'm glad we actually have a question about Chase Young because, frankly, he is the best pass rusher in college football right now. I don't think there's any question about it. If you look at Mr. Young's stats um, this year, he's got uh, nine and a half sacks halfway through the season – He's got 10.5 sacks last year. Uh, he's a purely dominant defensive end, and when you look at Chase Young, I mean, he's got immense speed, athleticism, and he has this ability that I watched, um, Urban, Urban Meyer talks about this in, in one of his film reviews on BTN, uh, Big Ten Network for those not familiar, Ohio State uh, used to have Urban Meyer as his coach. He retired this past year, I think it is, and he was act- I think he recruited Chase Young, so Urban Meyer basically says, look, Chase Young has this ability to close his hips, make tight, quick moves in the direction. This is one play you see him you see him in the dirt going after this quarterback and he's being harassed by this offensive lineman and he's at the forty five yard line, basically on like this curvatured route, almost like a parabola, right? He's coming down and he's trying to go back up. But instead of having the curve go back up, he just stops dead in his tracks and does a ninety degree angle straight for the quarterback. I mean, it's a, it was a very good play, and, and, and Urban Meyer is completely correct. He has immense speed. He has a great get-off, uh, get-off the line. Athletic ability to close those hips, make tight moves, changes. The stellar college production is also um, very indicative of his success, especially at Ohio State. It's very, very tough to become a starter there. That's what he's done. He's purely dominant, this guy, Chase Young. Reminds me, I mean, if you look at the passers coming out of Alabama, not Alabama, Ohio State, you had Joey Bosa, you had Nick Bosa, now you've got Chase Young, um, but there's only one problem with getting Chase Young. And that's the fact that he is so dominant that he's projected to be a top-five pick. Um, some people have him at number two overall. Uh, it, it is early. We don't even know the drafting order yet. But, you know, Mel Kuyper, I'm, I'm not a super big fan of Mel Kuyper, but he's really the only one at ESPN right now doing this kind of stuff. I know Tom Shea is, but Mel Kuyper is, is really the, the best at ESPN about this. Um, and he's really the only one... Who's talking about draft big boards right now on ESPN? And Mel Kuyper has him as the second best prospect. So if we read anything into that, it's this dude's going to go in the top five no matter what, unless there's some huge fall from grace. Uh, almost like you know Teddy Bridgewater was supposed to be the number one quarterback in, in 2014 and fell all the way to the last pick. Lamar Jackson fell to the last pick. If there's some crazy move in the first round where he falls to the last pick of the first round, you know it's possible. But I don't see it. I see him being more like a Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa, just sitting there and to, from the beginning of the draft process to the end, everyone knowing he's going to be a top five pick, if not number two. Uh, the only reason he's probably not number one is because of the quarterbacks coming out in this class. Tua Tagalovia um, obviously is, is pretty much on track to be the number one overall pick. He's been that way since last year. So Mel Kiper has him at number two uh walterfootball.com one of my favorite websites for draft information has been number 5 on their big board it is early though um, and the ravens we assume since they're probably going to make the playoffs to 5 and 2 whether or not they win the division or wild card it looks pretty much like baltimore's going to the playoffs although things can change in a heartbeat in the nfl but assuming the trajectory stays the baltimore ravens will have a pick somewhere in the 20s 22 and above i think is where the the, the playoff teams pick so if you're baltimore how are you going to get this guy And Donovan provides the answer. He's right. The Baltimore Ravens are going to need to give up at least their first-round pick and probably a first-round pick in 2021 and probably their second-round pick from either this year or 2021 to get this, to get Chase Young. And the question I have to pose for all of you, because I want this to be a discussion, is, is Chase Young worth that? Do you prioritize that much capital into one player? Personally, I can't say I would. And here's why. We see so many draft busts where players that are supposed to be generational turn out to be good but not amazing. Are they worth two first-round picks and a second-round pick for I don't think so. I don't think it's worth risking it. And, you know, I mean, just looking at Raven's recent draft history, Rashad Perryman was a flop, right? He was supposed to be a very good Receiver. Of course, we did know he had problems coming out, the dropping problems. But we knew his elite speed was supposed to be a flop. Ronnie Stanley, we just kind of fell into. I mean, that was a great pick, but we fell into him. We didn't have to trade up for him. And if you, if if I was to tell you, in 20, 2016 it was in twenty sixteen. Let's let's assume the Ravens made the playoffs in twenty fifteen. Mark Trestman never was a thing in Baltimore. The Ravens make the playoffs, and we say, okay, we really want Ronnie Stanley, or, or let's say even Lamri Tunsil. But we gotta trade up to get him at, at number five, or number six, wherever it was. Would you be okay giving this kind of talent at that point up for Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Stanley, as as great of a player as Ronnie Stanley is? And in hindsight, not looking at hindsight, I would say no, I wouldn't be willing to give that up. It's just something I couldn't, you know, allow myself to do. The Ravens also traditionally trade back, okay. That seems to be the goal. They traded back in 2018 to get Hayden Hurst, Accumulated enough picks to jump back in the first round and get Lamar Jackson. Perfect. They traded back to get Marquise Brown. So Eric DeCosta is is, is continuing the tradition of of Newsom. they even, even traded back to and then back they, they traded out of the first round or whatever in 2008. I should I should clarify. 2008 they had a higher pick. They traded back traded back. They traded back up to get Flacco. They don't care. They, they like accumulating more picks. It's, it's more the Ravens want to have more opportunities to score. They don't want to put all their eggs in one basket, no matter how great that talent may be. And I have to agree with that decision. I mean, you know, there are so many, like Eric Fisher. What if the Ravens trade up for Eric Fisher in 2013? He's been largely a disappointment in Kansas City for at least the first five years. He's, he's been better. Would you have been comfortable if the Ravens traded up to get Josh Allen as opposed to Lamar Jackson in 2018? I mean, these guys are hit or miss, especially at such a high point. Sometimes it's just better to trade back and get more value so you can have more swings at the at bat than going for a, a top talent. Now, does that mean if the Ravens somehow end up with Chase Young, I'd be disappointed? Absolutely not. I just don't want them to break the bank for him. If he falls to the 20s somehow, some way, I think that that would be fantastic for the Ravens. But, you know, there are other guys available as well that the Baltimore Ravens could go after at edge rusher. There's A.J. Epinesa, who I watched. Unfortunately, I had to watch the Rutgers versus Iowa game a few weeks ago, early September, maybe mid-September. And that dude just lit that team up. And I, I know Rutgers sucks, but AJ Epinesa is a very good defensive end. I like him a lot. Um, I don't have a full scouting report on him, but he's very good. I I, I hope you guys look him, look him up if you're interested in AJ Epinesa from Iowa. And then there's another guy I don't know much about, but Julian Akawara from Notre Dame, the outside linebacker, is projected to be top twenty pick. Maybe the Ravens could scoop him up. There's other pass rushers too, not just Chase Young. And I don't want to Donovan. I don't want to like you know um dampen your mood or anything, but I just don't think the value of the two first round picks and the second round pick is worth it. If if somehow they said, hey, you know, Baltimore we'll give we'll let you trade up for a first and a second and we'll give you a an extra third, then I'd take that deal any day. But that's not gonna happen. That's not how that how it's done. Most NFL teams are gonna rely on the trade value chart and the trade value chart is not going to let that happen. Um, If you don't know what the trade value chart is, it was developed, I think, by Jimmy um, Johnson and the Cowboys in the 90s. Essentially, it it assigns a numeric value to every draft pick in in the draft, and that's how they determine whether or not they should trade for that pick. Uh, If if it's the number two overall pick, it might have a value um, of—actually, the number five pick has a value of 1,700. I know that for a fact, according to the draft chart. Uh, and, And all the teams were using this at one point. I don't know if it's still that widely in use, but the concept is still there. If you need seventeen hundred for that pick, you need to give that value or approximately that value or more to get that pick. So that could be your twentieth first round pick, your your second round pick, and your next year's first round pick to accumulate that much um, that numeric value of that seventeen hundred. So, you know, just to go back to Chase Young though. It's going to take at least a first, a second, and either their third or next year's first or whatever to get Chase Young. Um, And I don't think right now that's exactly what the Ravens should be doing. Now things can change, um, but I think the Ravens would be better off working with Jalen Ferguson, hoping he develops, and and re-signing Matt Judon. I think that's that's number one. We should re-sign Matt Judon, make him our premier pass rusher, hope Jalen Ferguson pulls out, Maybe draft A.J. Epinesa, another pass rusher, uh, and kind of take a step back and, and not trade up for Chase Young. Although, maybe, again, Chase Young could slip. It's very unlikely, though. Um, and you know even if even if I was on board with the decision, I don't think um, Eric DeCosta would be because he is definitely the type of, of GM that's going to sit back and wait and try to accumulate more draft picks instead of going up and getting this guy. That's really what Eric DaCosta is all about. That's what we saw him do with Marquise Brown. That's what we're going to see him do um, in the future as well. But thank you very much for the question, Donovan. I hope I answered it the best you can. And let me know what you think about my answer, if you agree with me, if you just don't agree with me after my explanation. Um, and, of course, remember, everybody else send in as many questions as you like. If we get too many questions, I, w- I won't be able to answer them all, but I would like to you know, have conversations with uh, are very fun listeners out there for listening to the Nest Talk podcast. Um, so moving on now, the Ravens won in Seattle, obviously. It was a very, very good win for Baltimore. But what does it mean for the Ravens short-term and long-term? The short term, for me at least, is that the Ravens can go toe to toe with these teams. Seattle obviously is one of the best teams in the National Football League right now. There's no question. They are five and one entering the game. They have MVP MVP candidate Russell Wilson at the helm. Um, it was quite frankly um, a very very difficult matchup for the Ravens to try to win, and somehow some way they won that matchup. Now, how do they win this matchup? The defense came out of nowhere well I shouldn't say that, the defense they didn't come out of nowhere because we kind of knew that they were trying to establish their new dominance with the, the acquisition of uh, Marcus Peters um, and of course you know d p is still trying to be as aggressive as possible and it paid off, the Ravens were super aggressive, Marcus Peters had a pick 6 uh, which is very very good for him Um, And actually, he he was only targeted thrice that entire game, three times. The first time, I think, was one was an incompletion, one was sailed over his head or something or a breakdown, and the third was the pick. And then Russell Wilson never targeted him again. And that was Russell Wilson's first interception on the year, and Marcus Peters took it to the house. So to all the people out there telling me that Marcus Peters is washed because he had a few bad games in L.A., I got news for y'all. He ain't washed. That's for certain. Um, What it also tells us, though, is Lamar Jackson is a lot better than he looks statistically. And he's an MVP candidate. But let, let me tell you what I mean by that. Those conditions were so bad in that game. The rain, if you watched it, you could tell. It was slushy out there. The rain was pouring. Like, absolutely pouring. Everywhere. And gripping the football was a huge problem. Huge problem for the Baltimore Ravens. For everybody on that team, for both teams, absolute mess out there in the rain. Um, and what does that mean, essentially? Well, it means that the nine passes that were completed out of 20 attempts for Lamar Jackson is a very misleading stat. Mark Andrews had not one, not two, but three drops. I think I read somewhere that he had there were six drops in total. Something like that. I should have saved that stat, but there was, I think, six drops in total. And if that's true then Lamar's adjusted passing, the completion rating, would be 15 out of 20, which paints a wildly different picture than 9 out of 20. And those saying, well, you know, this just proves Lamar can't throw. What does it prove about Russell Wilson then? Because Russell Wilson finished under 50% completion as well. He finished 20 for 41. That's under 50%, just like Lamar. It's about the same percentage, actually. It's very close. So what does that prove about both these players, huh? I mean, you can't. Just say the conditions apply to Lamar Jackson, but don't apply to Russell Wilson. I think Lamar Jackson has shown us quite enough now that we can stop questioning his ability to pass the ball. I mean, there are decisions that he makes that are stupid. There are throws that he misses that he shouldn't. But that's because he's a second-year quarterback, and he's outplayed all of my expectations so far. So I'm, I'm done with people saying he can't throw. I assumed he couldn't throw. I think it was fair to assume he couldn't throw very well coming out of college because in the college tape, he wasn't a good thrower. Last year, he had a lot of bad passes, but over the summer, obviously he worked very, very, very hard on his mechanics. You can see the difference in the way he sets up a pass. I mean, just look at his hips, look at his foot placement. You see, if you compare side by side, you can see those differences. He's much more accurate. He's much more precise than he was last year. This isn't a question about whether or not Lamar Jackson can throw anymore, right? We're, we're done with that question. It's over. So moving on from that, though, what are the other effects of this game? What are the, the long-run um, questions that are going to be solved, answered? Well, for starters, I want to go to the defense. I think – it might be pre- pre- premature to say, but I think the defense – Is improving. It's not an elite defense yet, but it's definitely an improvement. It was not perfect, but but the defense was what it needed to be, and that is the key to every game. Essentially, is what can it do to win the game? The defense did enough. Maybe the rain helped, but you know he should be used to it up there at Seattle. Maybe those conditions weren't ideal for the Seahawks, but Russell Wilson only throwing for under fifty percent completion for two hundred forty-one yards. And that interception, his first interception on the year, was huge. Chris Carson, on a super rainy day where you think the Seahawks would ground and pound with a guy who averages 4.3 rushing yards per carry, on 21 carries, got 65 yards. That's a 3.1 average. That is atrocious. That is very, very bad. And I got to hand it to my boy Jalen Ferguson. He was in there a lot, getting plays done, stopping. Chris Carson for moving, there were some really good plays. We're, we, saw a lot, we saw a lot of gang tackling, you know, getting together and pushing him to the bottom as a pile was huge. Just an overall much better defensive effort, and the secondary was much improved. And here we're coming back now. We're entering the game against New England, and not only Marcus Marquise Brown is supposed to come back, but Jimmy Smith, too. That means we're going to have a secondary, get this, of Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith, Brandon Carr, Earl Thomas, and the venerable Chuck Clark, who's doing a lot better than any of us would have ever expected him to do. Long term, this defense is actually on a trajectory to do much better than anticipated two weeks ago. It's really quite phenomenal, and I give a lot of credit to Dean Pease because he really is the mastermind behind this defense, and he's been staying aggressive just looking for players that can help them. LJ Fort had a fantastic game, a fantastic game in linebacker. Made so many good plays, so many good tackles. Josh Bynes is another guy that's been impressing. I mean, it's really a shame that we had to wait until midseason to find our inside linebackers. But it's very, very satisfying to see these guys. Two journeymen here, right? Josh Bynes with the Ravens before, LJ Fort not with the Ravens before this two journeymen coming in the middle of the season and transforming that that group into a much better group than it is right than it was before them um, it's really really fantastic to see that happen for them at least from our perspective maybe not so much cuz we had to wait till midseason to figure that one out but it's still impressive and it shows that wink martindale um, can can adapt his defense um, and and still keep it The aggressive style he wants, but adapt it to the players that he's getting. That's important for him, and that's important for the Ravens' defense. Um, Offensive side, though, I have some concerns. I know Lamar had a fantastic game on the ground. 8.3 yards per carry, 14 yards, that's 166 yards in total. He had a touchdown, which was huge for the Ravens on that fourth down. Um, But it's becoming more and more apparent that Lamar Jackson is the entire offense. And I'm not saying... That you can't use your quarterback the way that the Ravens are using Lamar Jackson. That's not my point. My point is: if Lamar was to get hurt tomorrow, the Ravens offense is done. There's nobody else. I mean, Mark Andrew I'm sorry, Mark Ingram is having a good year, but he's been slowing down in recent weeks. He went under 50 yards this past week, 46 yards in total, 3.8 yards per carry. Gus Edwards had 4.4 yards per carry. But the overwhelming majority of total yards are coming from Lamar Jackson. And I get it. He's your quarterback. That's supposed to happen. But it's on the ground, too. And it's through the air. And the entire offense revolves around this guy. And it's very fun to watch. And he's a very good player. But if he was to get hurt, the Ravens' offense won't continue. Not at this level. But I just have to say, the young talent we saw, the young talent was impressive. Mark Andrews obviously had a bad day, but we'll excuse him on this one. This never happens with him, the three drops. Miles Boykin, two catches for 55 yards. One was a huge bomb. I mean, that's where the where the 50-some yards really come from. I think it was a 49-yard pass, actually. Miles Boykin showed out in that game. Um, Marlon Humphrey, obviously fantastic game. Marcus Peters, fantastic game. I'm sorry, why am I talking about defense now? Um... The problem, though, with with the Ravens' offense may have been on the offensive line, though. And Bradley Bozeman impressed me for a few weeks, but he's kind of struggled since then. And I know it's not exactly the time to think about what we should do about Bradley Bozeman, but we should be drawing a little attention to it. And Skura obviously had that stupid play. I mean, that was a dumb play. He just didn't even hear Lamar Jackson. That stadium is so darn loud. Lamar Jackson tried to snap the ball, and Matt Skura didn't even hear him on the snap count. He just sat there, was waiting for it, and Lamar got really, really angry. He went up to him, yelled at him, and then patted him on his head and said it was okay because he understood because he couldn't hear anything at stadium. It's one of the loudest stadiums in the National Football League. So I'm not sure you know, how much Matt Skura can be blamed for that, but he hasn't been the best either. He's been decent, but not the best. Ronnie Stanley obviously is fine. Marshall Yonda is okay for now. He's he's probably going to be gone after this year, but he's, he's the solid that we need on that line. And Orlando Brown's been pretty good. But, I mean, Riley Bozeman, even last week at home against the Cincinnati Bengals, there were like three, four calls against him. He's been struggling. He, he's been, I think, outmatched. And maybe the Ravens can kind of work him around that, but he is, is really the, the Achilles heel of this offensive line. But long-term, I think this offense could be in trouble if they don't address you know, balancing a little more, especially in the running game. We want to see Mark Ingram actually get back to what he was doing, dominating. Um, Gus Edwards getting these guys involved in the, the rushing attack, not making it solely go through Lamar Jackson because if Lamar Jackson got hurt, even for half a game, it could completely tank the Ravens' offense. And, you know, it would not be an adequate situation for that to happen. So hopefully the Ravens will heed my warning on that and kind of move in that direction um, quickly to, to balance it out. doesn't mean we can't use Lamar Jackson the way we're using him. It just means we need to have a little bit of a safety blanket in case we can't use him at a specific moment. Okay. Moving on now. Um, so we talked about it already, basically, the defensive revival. It's it's reviving, but it's not where it needs to be just yet. So um, I do want to say, though, Wink Martindale is a fantastic defensive coordinator, I think, and he's really helping this defense get along. Um the only thing the defense really needs is still a pass rusher. And the reason that's so important is you might think, obviously, it gets him to the quarterback. But not only that, it takes time away from the quarterback. Think of it this way. If you are um, – if if you are – let's just say you're the quarterback. You're standing in a pocket. Okay, You, picture yourself as yourself in the quarterback's pocket. You're standing there. you got your offensive line. Let's say you have four seconds to throw the ball. That's one, two, three, four. That's quite a long time. Versus let's say you have three seconds to throw the football. One, two, three. You need to make a much quicker decision. And if you have to make that quicker decision, you're either more prone to making a mistake, especially if you're a rookie second year or third year, someone super young, maybe a Baker Mayfield kind of guy. Or what also could happen is your mechanics won't be very good. You don't have enough time to set your foot if you don't have, especially if it's a very, very quick pass rush on a blitz. You don't have time to set your feet as well. You have to make that split decision now. What also could happen is the secondary can keep that coverage longer. If you allow too much time, a fast guy like, let's say, Tyler Lockett could blow past Marlon Humphrey because he's fast. Sean Jackson, maybe, you know, even Marquise Brown. Same, same thing applies with Marquise Brown. He could blow past a defender if his quarterback is given enough time in the pocket. His quarterback's not given enough time, though. The, the deep throws won't happen as much because you can't get your guy past that defender. You, when you're making the read to throw deep, you want to see where your, your your wide receiver is relative to the cornerback that's on him Hopefully he should be uh, the cornerback should be behind him chasing that wide receiver. You also want to know where the safety, the nearest safety, is. If he's too close, if he's ahead of him, he might be able to pick the ball off. But he's if he's blown past the safety too. If you stand in the pocket long enough and he goes past that safety, you'll have an opportunity for your receiver to go get it. But if you're not given that opportunity to sit in the pocket, then your your receiver is not given the opportunity to go get the football. That's why it's so crucial that the Ravens develop a pass rush. Because this secondary has has the guys in it. Earl Thomas, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith, Brandon Carr. These are all guys who can compete with some of the best receivers in the National Football League. But if there's no pass rush, nothing's happening. They're not going to stop them. That's the problem. So essentially, the Ravens need to figure out what they want to do with the pass rush. And... Make it a much better unit in order to not only help the entire defense but help the secondary perform at a much higher level as well. And that's what's going to take for a full defensive revival. Um, to close out the episode, I'm just going to give a few bi week thoughts now. What my thoughts are on the Ravens here at five and two, almost halfway through the season. And look, if you read my predictions before the season started, I thought we were going to go nine and seven. I thought this team was going to be average. It's proof to me, even though there are times where it was certainly below average, right? Kansas City, Cleveland, those games were terrible. This Ravens team together has faced adversity that I'm not sure every NFL team would be able to get through, get out of. It's not very easy to go up against these teams and come out the victors. And the Ravens have done it on a few occasions. And the, the win in Seattle, really is the win that's really going to define the Ravens from now until the playoffs, I think. Because it establishes their identity. Yes, they can go into the toughest stadium in the NFL. One of the toughest stadiums to play in the NFL. There's no question. Century Link Field in Seattle is one of the absolute toughest places to play. They can go in against an MVP candidate in the harshest weather conditions possible and come out the victors. Even with a battered-down defense, even with an offense that sputters at times, they're still able to come out and that offense sputtered a few times they're still able to come out and I think the Ravens are on the right track I think that they're probably going to win the division at this point I think they're going to finish better than 9-7 the trajectory they're on certainly indicates that the division is up for grabs for them it's really theirs to lose Cleveland is 2-4 I think they had a bye week this past week so they didn't play the Steelers are 2-4 the Bengals are still winless it's going to be very, very difficult for anybody to catch up so long as the Ravens continue to play. They could finish 10-6 and, and probably have the division by three or four wins. That game in Pittsburgh, that game against Pittsburgh, at the end of the season might end up being being mean, meaningless for the Baltimore Ravens. Will I still go? Yeah, of course I'll go. That's a sick game. Last game of the year against Pittsburgh. In a cold day, maybe it'll snow. Count me in. But it's definitely... Going to be a different circumstance than typical games against Pittsburgh, than typical years. The Baltimore Ravens have a much better team than I anticipated, and I think many people anticipated. And back to Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's having a phenomenal year. Say what you want about his passing stats, total yardage is total yardage, and this dude's balling out. And he should be an MVP candidate. I don't think he's going to win MVP, but as long as he's a candidate, I think he'll be getting the recognition he deserves because he's really working much harder than most quarterbacks do. In all honesty, this, this kid is working so darn hard. He's working so hard to be the quarterback of the future for the Baltimore Ravens, and that's what counts for Lamar Jackson. That's what counts for the Ravens. That's what counts for everybody because Lamar Jackson is succeeding because of his hard work. It's not just talent alone. It's the hard work that goes into everything in the NFL. And that's what Lamar Jackson is doing to win football games for the Baltimore Ravens. So that's going to conclude our episode today. It's a bit shorter. I think it's about 10 minutes shorter than last week's episode, and that's really because there's no game to talk about coming up this week. But, of course, we will be back next week with another edition of the Nest Talk Podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the Internet. So make sure you are ready for that next week. And, of course, you can find us at Nest Talk or at Be More Feather on Twitter. You can find me at Chris Linfon on Twitter as well. Subscribe to us on YouTube or iTunes to get the newest episodes uh, in your your – um, subscription box if it's on iTunes it goes directly to your devices that you have iTunes installed on so that's absolutely fantastic if you have an iPhone it goes right into your podcast app if you've got a Mac laptop or even a Windows laptop whatever with iTunes on it, it goes right into your library you just open up on a Friday afternoon you know past five six o'clock it should be up and there it is if you're on YouTube you could turn on the notifications and it'll if you got it on your phone it'll come up boom Nest Talk new one so that's fantastic absolutely Make sure to do that. If you're looking at us on baltimorefeather.com, thank you for doing that. That's the absolute best platform you can get to us at. Um, subscribe to the um, the email list. That way we can send you the latest uh, articles. And every time there's a Nest Talk podcast, we put it on an article as well. So that way everybody on the email list gets that. And you can listen to it there if you would so like. Uh, if you are looking to find us on Facebook, you can find us by searching up Nest Talk or Baltimore Feather on Facebook, and make sure if you have you want a question you want to talk to us about, um, you know, you want to discuss some Ravens football, make sure you leave it in the comments of the YouTube video or tweet us at Nest Talk or at Be More Feather, just make sure it's, it's a question you clarify for Nest Talk, and we will put it away in the, the box and save it for the episode. At some point, maybe not this season, maybe next season, I would really like to do live shows and do call-ins, but we don't actually have that capability right now. So in the meantime, we will continue this question format, which I think is still the best way to start the process of, of getting more uh, interaction from you guys and my ability to, to talk directly with you about topics that you want to hear. Because really, I mean, when I'm doing these hour-long shows, it's more like I'm talking to you. I don't want it to be like that. I want to be talking with you about these things. So the more questions, the merrier. And I'll try to answer every single one as long as I can. Uh, thank you again for listening to the Best and Most Elite podcast. Uh, Ravens podcast on the internet, that is Nest Talk. Uh, We will see you next week with episode 51 set to record on October 31st. Can that be right? November 1st. I got it wrong. The Day after Halloween, All Saints Day, I believe. Um, So we'll see you then, and uh, have a great week, great bye week. Enjoy your NFL Sunday. Watch Red Zone if you've got it. It's just a nice week to just relax and watch other teams for once and not have to uh, have a heart attack by 3 p.m., as we usually do every single Sunday. So thank you again, RavensFlock, and we'll see you next week.